Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand, please, and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, selfishness, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The return to the ancient path of goodness. Today we are going to have the second part of the labors of our pastor, Brother Arkady, the second part of the introduction that we are going to look at. And I hope that we will find it very necessary, beneficial, and it will shine for us newly today on the horizon of our spirit. And so we've established earlier that to return to the ancient path of goodness is to accept the kingdom of heaven in our heart, which is contained in the reigning teachings of Jesus who came in the flesh. And this is written about in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. And let's read it in an extended context, which was offered by our pastor. And it's going to sound like the following. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And so before us were presented the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh in four teachings. This is the doctrine of baptism, the doctrine of laying on of hands, the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, and the doctrine of eternal judgment. We know that each of these four teachings of the ancient path of goodness has a trinity, which sum up to the number 12. And today, we will mention seven different examples and images that uncover for us the 12 base teachings that represent the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. So the teaching in, in its symbolical number 12. And we will see that the whole Bible is filled with the teaching of Jesus Christ. 
beginning from the book of Genesis, ending with the book of Revelation. Even the word Bible itself means a library or a unique library, because in it are books that have been written by different authors in completely different times, but they all had pursued uniquely one goal, and not one of the books does exist, or rather, none of the books opposes the other. They each fill one another and verify the authenticity of one another. These kind of masterpieces don't, don't exist anywhere else. Everything in other books rejects or nullifies that which another person has written. This exists in the Muslim religion as well. And in Christianity, this is present as well, because Holy Scripture is interpreted by those that have not been sent by God. And we will, we see today lots of confessions, denominations that, res, that resist one another and that oppose one another, because at the head of the church stands those who are not sent by God. And the church did not want to pose the question. Christians did not want to pose the question, what a person must be like whom God sends in my life. It is possible that this person is not going to speak in my own native language, but he's going to speak in the language of my spirit. It's possible that he's going to speak with me in a language that I do understand, and in a language that I can turn to God and speak with him. Of course, God will show us this kind of a person. And so we will take a look, and if you are asked, show me on the basis of Scripture, where in Scripture we see this symbolic number 12, which is going to show us the fullness of the reigning teaching of Christ. And you are going to need to show at least seven different images. And so we'll begin from the first one. The first symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the 12 bronze bulls that carry the bronze sea. We remember that as soon as a person entered the outer court of the temple, he would immediately see the edifice of the bronze sea, bathing in which allowed the priest to enter into the tabernacle to do what? To, to live and to not die. This is the first revelation with which a person must meet with entering into the presence of God, the bronze sea that stood on the twelve oxen. 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 23 through 26. And he made the sea of cast bronze. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup like a lily blossom. It was a large measurement and there was a lot of bronze that it took to to create this. A very beautiful creation. Symbolically, the waters of the bronze sea washed away all the desires and ambitions of the flesh which came out of a person in the form of sweat, and the priest in the, was in the form of sweat. Without the bronze sea, we are incapable of cleansing ourselves from all desires and ambitions of the flesh. 
Therefore, when we enter into the temple of God or into the secret room or prayer room, we must understand that the first thing that a priest comes across is the bronze sea. We must wash away all of our own ambitions, the ambitions of our nation, our household, our personal ambitions, and we must represent the desires and interests of God. And having entered into the tabernacle after bathing, the person was ready to represent only the desires and interests of God. The bronze sea was cast as one piece in the shape of a flowering lily, which symbolizes the faith of Abraham and his descendants. So this is the process of salvation. The flowering lily, not the blossom lily, but the flowering lily. This is a process. This is the completion of our or the perfection of our salvation, which was called to be an image of the faith of Abraham and his descendants. Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Consider the lilies how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Christ pays attention and he says, Look at the lily. The lily owes its glory and success to the good land and the good seed out of which it grows. For us to have this lily, the lily of the valley, it is necessary to have two things. First, a good land and a good seed in which we plant into the land and then a beautiful tree may grow or a beautiful lily may grow. For it to grow, something special wasn't needed. It doesn't have anything special or to borrow anything from anybody to grow. Everything it needs is already contained, first, in the good seed out of which it grew, and second, in the good earth into which this seed of the kingdom of heaven was placed. So this is what was necessary in order to have this kind of the state of a lily, a good heart, and the good word of God. For Abraham, the seed of the kingdom of heaven, was the word of God, which commanded him to leave his land, his people, and his house, and to go into the land which God would show him. So when he said, leave all things, and leave out of the Ur of Chaldeans, leave, then in this time the Lord had offered him this seed, the lily, in order to plant it into the good soil of his heart. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 2 Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So there are those people those people of faith who are like Abraham who will accept the seed. And again as pastor has showed us here you will say well show me when when have I accepted this seed? This seed, this seed, this lily, when did I accept it? When we died to our nation, the house of our Father, and to our own carnal desires. People say, well, I don't, I don't think so. You know what, sister, my mother carried me. Yes, she hates this church, this truth, but it's not Pastor Arkady that carried you, but your mom had given birth to you. Why don't you listen to your mother? Why do you listen to your pastor instead? This means that a person does not have the seed of the lily of the valley. The seed is defined when we, like Abraham, hear the cry, leave your nation, leave your household and your own desires and come to me to be with me. The land, or the earth, that God showed Abraham was his new heart and renewed spirit. 
able to accept the good seed and be fertilized by it. In practice, this meant obeying the Word of God and making a place for the habitation of the Almighty inside oneself. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 to 32. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. How do we turn and live? It's necessary to reject all the sins that we have done and to create in us a new heart. A new heart. Why do we need a new heart? We remember that a new heart, a new heart is a good land so that in it we can sow the good seed because when God sows his good seed into a bad land, all of this will die. And therefore, we must look at Abraham the way he looked to the four corners of the earth, becoming like the image of the twelve bulls. Let's look what Abraham had done. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. This is not enough just to look. Now he says, now stand, walk. It's not, it's not just enough to hear the word of God. It's necessary to move, to act, to proclaim the word of God, to begin to walk north, east, south, west. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Thus, looking to the four corners of the earth for Abraham, walking along its length and width. Length and width. This is the cross of Christ. Length and width. The cross of Christ. This is possible to walk when God says, look from, uh, look from the northward, southward, eastward, and westward. If a person doesn't have this kind of order, northward, southward, eastward, westward, then he will never be able to come and to know the word about the cross of Christ, to walk the length and the width. Considering this commandment for Abraham to walk along the length and width of the earth symbolically meant that he washed himself in the bronze sea. This proved to God in the, that the purpose of his sanctification in the waters of the bronze sea agreed with his divine order. In the act of washing in the bronze sea, which rested on twelve bulls that looked out to the four corners of the earth, symbolized passage through the narrow gates which lead a person out onto the ancient path of good. And sometimes saints say, can you provide a definition? Look at me and tell me, have I gone through the narrow gates? Well, we need to ask. Here's the first component that we have here that we have uh, gone over with our pastor. He has uncovered it for us. To enter through the narrow gates, we must learn how to wash in the bronze sea, which rested on 12 bulls, just as Abraham had done. Practically, to enter into the gates of God, or narrow gates, is to accept the order of light in our essence. Jesus said, Are there not twelve hours in a day? He had shown in this manner that the narrow gates 
and the definition of whether or not we have entered through them if we have the order of light in us are there not 12 hours in a day he said this order of light is defined by our ability to practice righteousness and to live in the righteousness of god and to affirm the righteousness of god in our life that's why that's why if we have entered through the narrow gates or not the bronze sea can help us if we have this faith of abraham this means that we have gone through the narrow gates and we are walking along the narrow path but this image alone is not enough let's move on to the second image the second symbol or image of the teaching of jesus christ who came in the flesh were the 12 baked unleavened cakes on the gold table of bread offering leviticus chapter 24 verses 5 through 6 and you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it two tenths of an ephah you sh shall be in each cake you shall set them in two rows six in a row on the pure gold table before the lord the 12 unleavened loaves on the gold table of bread offering are the gospel of the kingdom of heaven which we accept with our hearts even though for a certain time we are not able to understand it with our minds but we accept it with our heart again the preached word about the kingdom of heaven which is preached to us we accept how do we define it we first aren't able to understand it with our minds that's why we accept it into our heart on the golden table of bread offering if in the congregation of saints it's very easy for us to listen to sermons because the pastor laughs he jumps like a monkey he provides examples of my life his life her life he laughs oh i've understand everything in church what have we understood the word of god when it is given about the kingdom of heaven the first one that must understand it all and to read in our hearts is yahweh himself and then when the lord reads it the clearly written revelation then he allows us as leave as priests to feed from this golden table of bread offerings and to eat of it on one hand such an attitude toward hearing the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is the testament to our timely obedience and complete trust in the perfect will of god on the other hand such an attitude to hearing the word of god exists as the gold table in the heart of man where god can sate his hunger and thirst if a person understands this truth in their heart and does not reject it with his mind but he humbles the mind then in the eyes of god this person has grown out of infancy and become a perfect man and this kind of a person has entered through the narrow gates this is a second example how we have entered through the narrow gates our relationship to the 12 breads that lay on the golden table of bread offering and scripture says that they were in two rows by six very carefully laid out this was not a table upon which there was lots of different breads laid out or thrown out on there these were breads that were very carefully placed scripture talks about mary that she had heard the word she didn't understand it but she very carefully placed this word into her heart about the son jesus christ she didn't understand it but she carefully laid it wide why because she had a golden table of bread offering and those things which she understood the understood behind them stands the lord she doesn't understand them but she very carefully like on the golden table of bread offerings in two rows by six she placed the breads carefully before the lord same thing the priests had done they placed them on the sabbath and the sabbath they took them also and ate of them 
when we have the opportunity to place the word in our heart and we say, Lord, I thank you for the word that I hear. I have nothing against it. I have no evil toward it. I have laid aside all wickedness and malice so that I can in meekness accept the preached word. I accept this preached word and the Lord says, good. Then on the next Sabbath, I will give you an answer for those questions that I've been asked in your heart. Until we place them in the correct order and we wait for the revelation, the Holy Spirit will not uncover for us those words which He gives to us in His service. And despite this, Scripture says that the table must be gold, fully, fully pure and, and gold. And there must be the fragrance of Christ that is present there. What is the fragrance of Christ? For us to not distort the Word of God. That truth that we have accepted in our heart and placed it on the golden table of bread offerings, there must be a branch a branch of the tree and this is fragrance what is fragrance lord i have accepted the word of god and i will not with my commentary and my own interpretations i will not distort it to take those words that talk about my privilege and to speak to saints what the responsibility is no lord i take those words that talk about what my responsibilities before saints and what privilege they have before me and this is correct this is good the third symbol that defines that shows the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh was the breastplate of judgment worn by the high priest with its 12 precious stones on each of which was engraved one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Exodus chapter 20 verses 15 through 21 You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread of fine woven linen you shall make it it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. So everywhere we have this presence of a span. This means that when God builds a relationship with us, He says, you have this makeup of a span. The span is the dimension of a person. Who has given to you these truths? The messenger of God, the apostle. That's great. Let us continue on. This means that if we have revelations and they don't measure in a span by saying this is what the Holy Spirit shows me I saw a vision I saw a dream it's good to see dreams but if these dreams are not measured in the dimension of a span in accordance with the messenger of God then they must be thrown out but if this dream is too difficult to throw out we must ferment it and if this uh if this then blows up then uh it was incorrect all these tomatoes cucumbers will blow up we must ferment them and not be based on them because they're going to blow up in those canisters but if this was from god then we can later eat them And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a, a topaz, and an emerald, the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. Fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names. Like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And so we will talk about the breastplate of judgment very briefly. The breastplate of judgment is an image of a man's good conscience that is purified of dead works by the twelve foundational doctrines contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Therefore the breastplate of judgment was found here on the breast on the priest. This was that place that had showed the exact location of the heart, the spirit of a person, the location of a conscience. 
In this anatomy, part of the anatomy, we have a conscience where there was the breastplate of judgment, a good conscience. The twelve names of the sons of Jacob engraved into the precious stones like signets symbolize God's seal or the seal of righteousness, which is engraved into a man's heart by the Holy Spirit who works with man when he obeys the teachings represented by the precious stones on the breastplate of judgment worn by the Son of Man in his role as the high priest established by God. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, nor according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here it talks about how the Lord is going to work with our breastplate. Based on this prophecy, the breastplate of judgment made of twelve precious stones represented in man's heart a new covenant between him and God. A covenant between us and God. Although it expresses itself in baptism in water, but if in baptism in water that we do not pay a certain price in order to enter through the narrow gates, how do we enter through the narrow gates? Is to serve God with the sign, the sign of the new covenant when we place this breastplate of judgment in our heart. Second, this breastplate of judgment made of 12 precious stones was a continual remembrance to God. Exodus chapter 28 verses 29 through 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. So the breastplate of judgment is a continual memorial before God. So the first one we will remember and will not forget that this is a covenant. It's a covenant between God and me, a new covenant. And now this covenant must be a continual memorial to God. It reminds something to God. It reminds something to me. A breastplate of judgment is a continual remembrance before God. On, uh, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. To be a continual memorial before God is to be ready to affirm the written judgments of God at any time appointed by God, whether for mercy or punishment to serve who does the Lord use in order to fill this written judgment they are those saints who have this remembrance or memorial in the subject of this breastplate in their heart and it is placed in their hearts and the Lord uses them in order to fulfill and execute the judgments of God on the earth God never fulfills his judgments that don't have the breastplate of judgment. And these people, most of all, want to judge others. They curse Putin. They curse all Russians along the whole planet Earth. For them to all be cursed and them to all die. They say, you know what? Your wife is Russian. Well, Lord, have mercy on my wife, but the rest of the Russians, let them be destroyed. You also are half Russian. Well, you know what? He says, you are praying in Russian pray at least in English somehow or in a different language why are you cursing in Russian 
the Russians when your wife is Russian and you are half Russian. So we must have a breastplate of judgment and in order to fulfill and execute the judgments of God, we need to have the breastplate of judgment. And the third image of the breastplate of judgment made of 12 precious stones was a narrow gate in the heart of man through which the Holy Spirit could open the way to the good path for man. The phrase, you shall make a breastplate of judgment artistically woven was addressed to Moses and those people God anointed to weave holy robes for the priests. Take a look at who who works over my robes, Moses and those people whom God has anointed, not my mother, my father, no one, those whom God has established in the church, which points to the factor that the preparation, the breastplate of judgment, that is a good conscience, breastplate of judgment, good conscience, and we will not allow our parents, relatives, our aunt, our uncle, form our conscience. We have a Moses in the church. And the breastplate of judgment that is a good conscience can be made only by the watchman placed by God according to his order and not by people we voted for or who established themselves. We must always remember that the Church of Jesus Christ is not an earthly, democratic institution, but a heavenly theocracy in which people called to be watchmen, representing the perfect will of God, cannot be elected by others who do not understand this perfect will. They can only be established by God with the hands of other watchmen. Notice, through these watchmen that the Lord fulfills His work in the church and that the Lord works with our breastplate. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long will He do this? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is the third component that had uncovered for us the reigning teaching in the number 12. And the fourth image or symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, is the path of Israel's wandering through the desert, who encamped around the tabernacle in the same order as the twelve oxen who carried the bronze sea. In the same order, the army of Israel was located. Israel, how they had encamped around the tabernacle. Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, 27, we will read selectively. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp according to their armies. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, then comes the tribe of Zebulun. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben, according to their armies. Those who came next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. Then comes the tribe of Gad. On the west side shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim, according to their armies. Next to him, Manasseh, then tribe of Benjamin. 
One gets the impression that the four armies of Israel were meant to protect the tabernacle of God from enemies. But in fact, their order of placement signaled that they were all searching for God. And they were focused on their search for God. This is an interesting position of the army of God in order to search for God, not protect Him, but search for Him, for God to then protect them or us. If certain churches proclaim that they search for God, but they can't describe the kingdom of heaven, and they don't know the order of this kingdom reflected in the supreme teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, then such people, although they say that they seek God, are in fact searching for an opportunity to exploit the principles of faith for their own success and prosperity in this material life. Because of this, they liken themselves to that category of people who look for the narrow gates somewhere other than the place where they're supposed to be and with the wrong tools. And let's take a look at these instruments. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This arrangement of God's temple around the tabernacle allowed Him to find them and reveal Himself to them, and at the same time, to fight on their side and defend them from their enemies. What we were able to highlight today in this fourth image, how uh, Israel had surrounded the tabernacle. Here we wanted to find and uncover for ourselves, in ourselves, God, and God wanted this in order to then give them the opportunity to overcome their enemies. Like on Friday, for example, we are covering right now on Friday's sermons. We're talking about how the proclamations of the powers contained in the name of David and the eight names of God had allowed David to love and to call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And it gave God the basis to use the powers of these names and these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David. And in this kind of order, we express to God our love, our acknowledgement, and we search for His countenance, and the Lord will find a way in order to protect us. All right, saints, the fifth symbol. The fifth symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the throne of King Solomon, whose steps were flanked by twelve lions. First Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. Other kingdoms also had beautiful thrones. But the Lord is intrigued by only this kind of throne. And it's written that no other was anywhere else. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. He calls this his masterpiece, his classic. And this is that which brings him to awe. Therefore, we've agreed, we've agreed to look from the position of God. And if he is in awe by this throne, let's look at this throne so that we can also be in awe of it. Verse 
And so in scripture, the lion as a positive symbol represents the definition of a righteous or blameless man. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold or courageous as a lion. Meaning that the righteous has the quality of a lion. Under the lion is not just his courage or boldness. If behind this courage there is not the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, then this is not courage, but this is um, this is suicide, a kamikaze. On the foundation of which principles of truth do you express some kind, this kind of courage or boldness? When a person has boldness and courage, you must understand that someone is standing standing for you. That's why let's take a look at what stands behind this lion. Behind this lion stand 12 lions who stood on the six steps. Six steps is the number of man which defines the nature or the essence of man. And the 12 lions on the six steps represent the righteousness of man by which he rules over himself. This is where courage is defined. It's true that such a throne as this from which man can rule, judge, and govern over himself does not exist in any other religion in the world. A throne from the position of which a person can rule, judge, and govern over himself, not over other saints, but over his own essence. This doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, nor in any religious system. And a person who does not know the reigning teachings of Jesus, with its twelve foundations, cannot have a throne with six steps supporting twelve lions, and therefore cannot have true righteousness in his heart, even though he might call himself righteous. In order to have the throne of Solomon in our hearts, which symbolizes our willing and conscious reliance on the Holy Spirit, we need to lose our souls, that is, to depart from Egypt. Here is where we once again see the quality of a lion, our departure from Egypt. Numbers chapter 24, 8-9 God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. This can only be spoken in relation to a lion. When a creature goes against a lion, uh, goes walks by a lion, and says, Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. If any animals have any thoughts against a lion, they uh, will run away from him, because they know that the lion will catch him and devour him. Only when we have in our heart such a throne with its twelve lions, that the promise will be fulfilled, which blesses the one who blesses you, and curses the one who curses you. And we see these kind of saints today. We see this holy person, this righteous one who has a throne with the twelve lions. We know this kind of a person. I knew those people who in my presence had cursed him and expressed their 
distaste for him and he had to listen to this in his address and then these people were no longer there people need to study scripture that when a person has a throne upon which there are six steps and upon which there are 12 lions may the lord keep them safe to if they say some kind of curse against this kind of a person you know those people as well who came who they neglected this word and through a very short time they were no longer alive and people said my god how horrifying the word of god works the word of god works and it comforts us that there are these kind of people on planet earth who have this throne of solomon and this brings great joy the throne with 12 lions gives God the opportunity to reveal His mysteries to man. These mysteries are revealed to us when we have the ability to receive revelations that will cover us in the fear of the Lord so that we can speak the truth boldly. Amos chapter 3, verses 7-8 through 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophecy? So we prophecy that which is uh, available in our heart and that word which we hear this is the lion from the tribe of Judah that gives his voice and we accept these words and we might be like little lionesses we try to proclaim this word but it works it, when, when he clothes our whole essence when we have the temple of Solomon and then when we have these six steps and upon them will be these twelve lions this word will also work in us and it already works this was the fifth image or symbol the sixth symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the crown of twelve stars worn by the woman of the twelfth chapter of Revelation and let's read it this twelfth chapter from verses one through five now a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars then being with child she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and another sign appeared in heaven behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them out of the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. And so here we come across the fact that the woman, the woman had a garland made out of 12 stars. This is the next image that defines the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. That's why. That's why she had awakened a certain kind of interest from the position of the dragon, from the position of the kingdom of darkness, this dead religion. The garland of twelve stars is called in scripture the crown of life and the crown of glory and the crown of righteousness. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, made of twelve stars, is the result of our faithfulness to the reigning teaching of Jesus that we accepted. 
A person who accepts the teaching of Jesus but does not pass through the trials that must cleanse him of impurities through these teachings can never receive a crown of 12 stars. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7-8 I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It follows from this bold proclamation that the crown of twelve stars is a crown of righteousness or a crown of blamelessness. Such a crown is a testament to the purity or virginity of a person who has not defiled himself with woman, which are false teachings that are called Christian, while there is nothing Christian in them. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. This name that was written on the foreheads, this is that garland or that crown. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They, these 144,000, sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with woman, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit. For they are without fault before the throne of God. And let's take a look at this category, 144,000. Sometimes we say, well, 144,000, these are uh, 24 elders and four creatures. Why not talk about them, but talk about 144,000? The thing is that is that it's impossible to have the status of 24 elders if we do not have the quality and status of 144,000. And we will not be able to speak to God the Father. Oh, the crown, the crown won't go anywhere, my maker. In order for us to have the crown, in order for us to have the crown on the head of the 24 elders, let's look at these elders in ourselves and let's look at these 144,000. They're not found somewhere in the church. Let's look at all of this in our essence. The 144,000 of the redeemed, they must be found in our essence. And what I like and what the word of our pastor is is interesting is that all that he looks at, he looks at the throne of Solomon, we look at the bronze sea, we looked at the breastplate of judgment. Pastor turns everything to man and he looks at all of this in man. Let's look at these 144,000 in man. This is a very important quality without which we cannot be raptured. We can't skip over it. And so the number 144 is 12 12 times, or 12 to the power of 12. This is going to be 144,000. It is those who, in the words of Apostle Paul, loved the appearance of Jesus Christ, which in practice means that they loved the promise of the rapture and began to revolve around it. And in order to await the appearance of Jesus Christ, we must first see that the angel followed 
by the one hundred and forty-four thousand stood on Zion, and this is the place God favors to dwell. Therefore, our relationship to Zion defines, if we have this quality in our heart, the 144,000. Where were they? They were with the uh, Lamb on Mount Zion. The Mount Zion is the only mountain placed by God over all the mountains of the earth, on which the capstone of the universe we placed amid great rejoicing, or the chief cornerstone will be placed. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7. Where are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Here we see how the temple of God is built, the service of justification, amid great shouting, amid shouts of exclamation. When God builds his temple, the ministry of justification, he proceeds among great rejoice and shouting. There must be an element of unblemished joy present. Who is this Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel was born in Babylon. He is a prince from the tribe of Judah who became part of the genealogy of Christ. He led Israel out of the Babylonian captivity and rebuilt the temple of the Lord on Mount Zion, which was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so the crown of twelve stars will be given to the one who departs from Babylon and turns to the ancient path of goodness and comes to Mount Zion to erect a tabernacle there. So the ministry of justification, the ministry of justification that is going to be built up amid the shouts of joy. And therefore, Zerubbabel is that category of watch, uh, watchmen who are born in Babylon but seek the interests of Zion on which they will rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem and its temple. The next definition of the 144,000 are those saints who, thanks to the teaching of Jesus Christ, stand with Christ on Mount Zion. They are able to stand in faith with the Lamb on Mount Zion because their foreheads are marked with the name of the Lamb's Father. By the power of this mark, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And also, they are able to sing before the four cherubim who represent the four rivers coming out of the garden and the four armies around the tabernacle, a new song that no one can learn besides the 144,000 redeemed from this earth. This shows that nobody other than them could find the narrow gates and pass through them. Take a look. The 144,000, when we have these 144,000 in our essence, this means that we have entered through the narrow gates. We have discovered them. And Scripture says, based on the words of Jesus, when they listen to his sermon, tell us, based on your sermon, it becomes terrifying for us. Are there very few that are saved? He said, strive to enter through the narrow gates. In our case, he offers us to have this quality of 144,000 in our essence, who dwell in Mount Zion and who walk, uh, who walk with their shepherd. So a question, have I entered the narrow gates and am I on the narrow path? Well, when we have been on Mount Zion, well, I don't know, I go to church. On Mount Zion, the shepherd leads his sheep. He says, no, 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 no. This one who preaches to us 
He is not going to lead me. I know scripture better than him. I have a diploma. I'm a, I have a master's degree. I'm a doctor of theology. He, this other person without a diploma, is going to lead me? Look, people don't understand what Zion is and how in Zion the shepherd leads his sheep. Recognizing the urgency and importance of obtaining this crown of 12 stars, the unfading crown of glory, Paul wrote 1 Peter 5, 1-4. The elders who are among you I exhort, I whom a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Therefore, pastor says, observe who you allow to tend to you. A person who has a controlling spirit, who tries to tell you what you want to hear, because it frees you of personal responsibility to lead a good life. Or... A person who leads you not out of avarice, but in good faith, showing by example how to live a life of faith. Because a person receives a crown of glory or dishonor, depending on who he allows to lead him. This is evident in the words of Christ to his emissaries. Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 through 41. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So there is very many different kinds of rewards of the righteous and the prophet. And when we say, I am going to love only pastor and no one else in the church is anything. When we enter into heaven, the Lord begins with the reward of the righteous. And when this reward is present, he goes on to the reward of a prophet. When this reward is present, he goes to the reward of an apostle. Of course, it is good for the apostle and prophet to be righteous. But if we are not found in a covenant with the church of God, and when we rule over the inheritance of God and we don't serve them but provide our services then we're not going to have the reward of the righteous it is going to be completely discredited if we slander gossip if we are bitter if we are corrected and we then grow silent then and we do not answer phone calls we grow bitter and I corrected a person with love I thought he grew upset at this. We are talking about how to have the image of 144,000 in our heart. They follow their shepherd. So the Lord tends to us through his messengers, through his representatives. And this is one other image of the 144,000. And let's look at the other example of the 144,000 in our heart. The 144,000 who have on their head a crowd of 12 stars, are that elect for whose sake God will shorten the time of the great tribulation. Mark chapter 13, verses 19 and 20. 
For in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for the 144,000 whom he chose, he shortened the days. The elect are that small flock who, apart from the large flock called to salvation, belong to the 144,000. Revelation 7, 1 through 4. And after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. This vision tells us that only those people who are part of God's order will be able to receive the seal of the living God. So we must have this important characteristic, this important quality, 144,000. We are chosen by God, and for us, our days will be shortened. Of course, those that are from among the midst, they're the child of the main male gender. Not only the 24 elders are, this is also God's chosen remnant. If we look from our heart to the church, that saints who are going to be clothed in double strength during the year of tribulation, they also are God's chosen remnant, and they also, and for them, God is going to extend the time on the earth in order to give them the two wings of a large eagle. They both withhold the coming of the Antichrist, and when the Antichrist um, is revealed, he's going to fear these, because they're going to go into the wilderness. They will sanctify themselves, and he won't be able to do anything with them. He will do, he will do things with those that come from the seed of the woman. Therefore, we're, we're blessed people who today sit here and hear the word of God. We, right now, are keeping ourselves from the time of tribulation, those who are going to be raptured and those that will remain. We're not talking about the details. Let's agree that we all today are in this place because we today, having been found in this place, people are going to be raptured, people that will remain. We, right now, are already keeping ourselves safe from the years of tribulation because the antichrist will not be able to come to the child of the male gender the male child nor the woman and we are placing these two wings of a large eagle the mighty word of god and the mighty holy spirit who uncovers the meaning of this word we have these two wings of a large eagle we are already in a winning position and the last seventh image that defines the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh are the 12 laden baskets remaining after 5,000 people were fed by five loaves of bread and two fish. Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. 
Jesus said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them. They arrived before them when the people wanted to uh, in the boat wanted to rest. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and he went to his place of rest. He saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This time is coming. Before pastor comes to our church, there's going to be a time where multitudes are going to come. Where is apostle going to preach today? Multitudes are going to run here. He, he comes to rest, but there is a multitude waiting for him where they, they will find out where he is and they will wait for him there. But we will read further. That's why Pastor will not need to will not need to say when he is going, what where he is going. He'll be found there will be a multitude waiting. And when Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and he was moved to compassion, he began to teach them, this is a deserted place and that all and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when... Take a look at what is in your heart. If you have this golden table of showbreads, how many breads do you have in your heart? And when they found out, looking in their heart, they said, five and two fish. Oh, Jesus then rejoiced at this. Good, this is all that is needed. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. In the two fish he divided, divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. The twelve baskets full. Five breads and two fish. Twelve full baskets. When we meet with one another, when we begin to converse, if after our communication we lay out twelve thousand. And when I, I see this, when saints come together and they begin to mention one small question, and after communication, I see that they have 12,000 breads when they begin to ask questions. Remember, Pastor said this image. Remember, they, he said that image. The desert is one of the symbols of separation from the surrounding world, that is, sanctification. The people saw the disciples withdrawing into the desert, and many recognized them. The people knew that their that where the disciples were, Jesus would also be. There where the disciples were, Jesus would also be, and the Holy Spirit and the true anointing in the Word of God. 
And that's why searching for Jesus, they, in the literal sense of the word, they went uh, by foot there where the disciples had went. And they were not wrong because they did find Jesus there. Jesus, seeing this multitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like a sheep without shepherd. And the Bible says that he began to teach them many things. But when they became hungry, the disciples turned to Jesus and asked him to let the people go into the surrounding villages to buy bread for themselves because they had nothing to eat. And then Jesus, turning to his disciples, said, You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Almost everything Jesus taught would be proven by the twelve baskets remaining of the five loaves and two fish. Now let's take a look at what these five loaves were and what these two fish were, which when we have them and when they are present in our fellowship, then we can out of this fellowship carry out twelve thousand full baskets baskets and the lord cared very carefully with this bread when something remained he didn't say well throw it out he didn't say throw it out he said keep it wrap it we will eat it later something was was if something was remaining he said keep it we will eat it imagine how much had to be eaten twelve thousand he said we will all eat together at a later time but do not throw it out the five loaves are the image of the fivefold ministry by whose gospel God gives the world life. The two fish are two great witnesses before God of the earth in the form of the kingdom gospel and the Holy Spirit who fills this word with his anointing power. The 5,000 people are those people in this world who have willingly subordinated themselves to God's fivefold authority. Not those who abstractly accept the order of God, but those who accept the order of God acknowledging a certain watchman. What is a watchman? A watchman is the person who has the baton, who has the great revelation. It is necessary for him to pass it along to someone. Who will he pass his baton to? He runs the race and he passes along this watchman. He passes along to other watchmen. The watchman takes that baton and continues to run. And he passes it along to Seth. Seth continues to run. He gives it to Methuselah and so forth. Up until Abraham. Abraham runs and passes it along to the Lord Jesus. The Lord takes the baton. He doesn't he doesn't stop there. He runs to the cross. He dies, he raises, and he passed along to the, to the baton to the apostles. The apostles then pass it along to not the, just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And today's pastors, to, today's apostles today, they pass it along to the church of God. These are those watchmen. These are those five loaves of bread that must be present in the ministry of, of people. And the two fish are the two great witnesses the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. The twelve full baskets symbolize the reigning teaching of Christ, which demonstrates God's faithfulness to His Word. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 26 through 31. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And right now we are going to pray, and we call upon this place all of those who is weary, who is tired. This is going to be that place upon which the Lord will show His strength, show His might, show His strength. And He already demonstrates it in His mighty Word of God and in the Holy Spirit, who for us today continues to uncover the significance of the Word of God. We are going to wait for you at the altar. May be blessed in your prayer. I will pray with our prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for us. He is not against us. He has loved us with His eternal love. He has given to us the work of His redemption. He has stood between us and our enemies in order to protect us and in order to lift us up to His level. Your eyes close an element of the secret room. Your hands raised to the heavens. This is a sign and a symbol that our hands are without wrath and without doubt. Please pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the congregation of your holy people. 
I uncover my heart so that you may see my pain, my suffering, my wound that has been brought on by sin and lust, which I despise and which I reject. I come to you with my illness, with my fears, with a wounded honor and a dignity that has been brought down. I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, cleanse my wound, restore me and protect me by the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to declare that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven unto you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands near you, but draw not draw near you. May all the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May with a noise out of your body the power of death be cast out, and may in its place be raised up the power of life and resurrection. May all of this come upon you and upon all of your descendants, and may all of the people say, Amen. And saints, this was the second part out of the labors of our pastor of the introduction next Sunday. If our Apostle Arkadi does not come back, if he does come back, we'll do this on Tuesday. But if he does not come back for certain reasons, then next Sunday we will begin at the baptism in water. And now let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless, before the presence of His glory in unexceeding un, uh, joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>